I think Rebecca thinks that I actually have a sheet of music to read that really, really idiotic song off. And <laughs> I don't. I, had a, I used to play in a band with a, a woman who played the clarinet. And we played the same song 50 or 60 times a day. And we played the same song 50 or 60 times a day for three months with about 10 songs. And after three months, we took her sheet of music away. And she literally could not play the song. I know how that works. Um, I played flute wow. and piccolo in um, high school and university. And I know people who are exactly like that. Right. Okay. Well, you, if you put a sheet of music in front of me, I can't play the song. If you take it away, <laughs> I probably can. That's, that's a completely different approach. Anyway, so the song without the sheet of music, I'll pretend. A quick okay. hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Rebecca Burr. It's quite an honor. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, did you have the sheet of music in front of you for that yes. reply? No, no, I don't. No. Brilliant. So you're a musician as well? No, I wouldn't go that far. I love music. Um, I can read music as long as it's not a bass clef. Um, and I can stumble my way through most flute-like instruments. Right. Oh, that sounds exciting. So I read the bottom one, which is the bass, and you read the top one. Which is the treble, yes. Which is the, 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 the high one. And we don't actually have to meet anywhere in the middle, which is no, disappointing. Which is I was nice. going to say delightful, but that's rude. It is so, delightful because that means we complement one another <laughs> rather than stepping on each other's feet. Ooh, ooh, you're brilliant. Oh, I like that. That's delightful. <laughs> that is delightful. Now, we're going to look at your brand, sir. If we can pull up this first slide. Uh, the first screenshot, in fact, I searched your name and we have rather invaded your brand, SERP. Um, not sure yes, where that, that is. There you go. Um, we actually have, as you can see, one, two, three, three presences on your brand, SERP, which is, I think, delightful. In fact, a fourth because we have Rebecca Burble, the invent. But those images yes. generally rank pretty well. Well, it's also because I think you are some of the only entities associated with me at the moment. So that's going to make it much more likely that you appear fairly high up. Right. Yeah, okay. So it's easy for us because we're entity optimizing people. Right, okay. And we also have the C results about, which is Rebecca Burble events. So it thinks you're an event. And I thought I'd show this. And the, the design of the screen looks a bit weird, and I do apologize for that. Uh, but we actually have four different knowledge panels for this event. We had one that was triggered by YouTube, one that was triggered by Eventbrite, one that was triggered by Eventable, and one that was triggered by Crunchbase that thinks that your name is the event. Yes, I saw that last week. I was like, that's cool. I can be an event now. Right, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? So Google's getting a bit messed up. It's using all these different sources. But if you put the image back up, in fact, one of those sources, one of those knowledge panels has a higher confidence score in the knowledge graph. And just to be cruel, can you guess which one? Um, curiously, I saw the Crunchbase one appear on just the French brand SERPs. Right. And it is that one. Yeah. It's got double the confidence score of all the other ones, and it's the one that's the most wrong. So there you go. Google's getting it a bit confused. Thank you very much. But we have managed to trigger four knowledge panels. We should only have triggered one, and I'm still searching for the solution because Google just seems to pick these events up, and it just creates a knowledge panel. And even when I connect the dots, it doesn't seem to see them. Um, so come on, Google. Get your act together. I'm doing my work. Anyway. That was so, delightful information about your knowledge panel. I'm very pleased to have yes. you on the show talking about predictive SEO. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here.
Um, I think you've already seen that I get excited about this topic and similar topics. So yeah, we were talking about it at Brighton with Andrea, and I just couldn't yeah. get my head around it. And I kind of tried to hide in the corner, but then I suddenly <laughs> thought, "Ooh, ooh, ooh! This is exciting." Just before we yeah. start, that poster behind you is actually an Oncrawl this logo. Um, yeah, Oncrawl branding image thing. I'm switched, so I never know which direction it is. There right. I did, it, it's absolutely delightful. And you were saying you're into subtle branding. And for subtle branding, yeah. that's stunningly subtle. So I'm perhaps a bad marketer in that sense. I like to transmit sort of brand value without shoving it in people's faces. Because um, I think there's so much to say and so much to share that it's not the name of the brand that you need to hear first. It's what we have to say. It's the squiggly colory lines. Brilliant. Yes, and yes. it worked with me because I immediately said, what, is, what is it? And we talked about it. So you got some rather in-your-face branding by me saying, oh, that's an interesting on-crawl branding logo thingamabob behind you. On to the topic, predictive yeah, so SEO. Actually, when you said, yeah, can you come talk about this? Because I had an aha moment after going, what are they talking about at Brighton SEO? I really th said this is a great opportunity because the whole point of being here is to make sure that other people can understand some of these topics. They're, they're complex, but they're becoming way less complicated. Right, brilliant. Well, I mean, when you said predictive SEO, my brain just kept going prediction in SEO, prediction in SEO, and it's not that at all. And no. that was kind of me. I think we all do that is we kind of think, oh, let's stay in the safe place where we already understand everything. And then what part of the show, for me at least, is to leap out and ask people, explain something to me that I have no idea what you're talking about, and you've got some screens to share, and it just looks like... Well, hopefully we won't need those screens, but yeah. Well, we, we will show them at least, just to show everybody what, you, what you've done. It's lots of okay. lines and dots and scales and mathematical formulas, and I'm sure they make <laughs> lots of sense, but when you're looking at it from the outside and you don't even know what predictive SEO is... They don't make sense at all. So what is predictive SEO? Off we go. Before I define predictive SEO, let's just make sure we know what we're saying when we talk about predicting in SEO. Um, so basically, when you predict something in SEO, you're looking at a pattern. And you're using that pattern to project what could happen in the future or what could happen in an alternate universe. And we often say, from my experience, I predict right. this, that, and the other. And basically, exactly. it's intelligent guessing if we think we're intelligent or educated guessing if we think we're educated. Right. And you can use any tools to do that. You can use your own intelligence. You can use uh, mathematical formulas. You can use a machine learning algorithm if you have what you need to train it. Um, but it's basically advanced pattern recognition whether that's a human brain or a machine doing that recognition. And the idea is, when I talk about that, the questions that I get are always, that's really cool. What else can I predict? Can I predict the importance of a certain SEO change? Um, can I predict the impact of this particular SEO optimization? Can I predict my ranking after I do that? Can I tell you what I need to do in order to get a certain ranking? And that is predictive SEO. So it's using explainable machine learning predictions, and we can talk later about what that means, to determine the optimizations that are going to actually have an impact on rankings so that you can build a strategy around that rather mm -hmm. than around what is lacking or not lacking Ooh. in an analysis. 
Ooh, lovely, lovely, lovely. And one of the nice things about that is clients always come to us and say, how long will it take me to rank number four? What do I need to do to rank number two? And we tend to say, ooh, I can't possibly give you a timeline on that and I can't possibly give you any kind of indication that this might actually happen. And we expect them to take us on and pay us money for this total, total wishy-washy uh, kind of prediction and predictive SEO hopefully is going to help us to make uh, not make necessarily more um, true predictions. But hopefully it, it depends. It, will. it really depends. Let's but have more great. confidence in what we're saying. It. Sorry, Thank go you, ahead. Anton. It does depend, but it doesn't depend anymore. But it it depends on the quality oh, of your predictive it SEO. Depends. Oh, it oh. depends on a lot. We'll <laughs> talk about that too. <laughs> I'm not supposed to say rude words. Sorry. <laughs> Right. Uh, okay. So, so I've never tried this with timing, but I'm sure it should be able to work with timing. Um, with some but of my coworkers, we've been doing a lot of work on not how long will it take to rank, but really will this or that change make us rank within the top X, the top 10, the top three, the top five. So we sorry, know that that is doable. Yeah. So the, the, basically, you can go to clients and say, we know this is doable. Now the question is how long it takes, and we're not really sure about, about right, but that. You, you, if you have enough data, you, sh you might be able to look at, and here are the things it depends on, your website, your yeah. history, the SERPs you're trying to rank on, your competitors, uh, the time of year, <laughs> search intent in general. Uh, so really the context that you're trying to rank in and analyze how long does it usually take you to rank then? And then given all of the other variables that you're adjusting, mm. would it be right, possible yeah. to estimate And the then the only problem is take. a massive Google update that changes the entire exactly. game <laughs> and throws a big rock in your pond. So I think what we need to sort of take apart there is what I said earlier is using explainable machine learning predictions. And that's likely going to be the question. Can, right, okay. What's the explainable bit of that? Okay. Explainable for us? No, explainable mathematically. Yeah. Um, so when we're talking about an algorithm, uh, there are two types of explanations. There's the English explanation where I say, okay, this is how it works. And then there's the machine learning explanation, which means what are the factors that contribute to that outcome? So right. you have two types of machine learning algorithms in that sort of sense. You have um, machine learning algorithms that are fairly straightforward. You can say this is what contributed to the outcome, this factor, this factor, and that factor. Then you have complex ones that are essentially a black box. You put right. data in and you get data out, but you don't really know how things are weighted. Right, okay. So explainable is often at the cost of complexity. So sometimes you lose a bit of accuracy there, but it means that you can tell more about which elements contribute to the result and can to I what ask, extent. Can I Go ask ahead, a question? Ask. Sorry, I mean, that makes loads of it's sense. Job, it, actually, it, it actually just taught me something. I thought, oh, that's really obvious now you say it. Um, and it is a question of human control, which is the, the explainable ones. And humans letting go of the control and letting the machine do its thing, which is the black box, non-explainable ones. But one thing I heard, and I don't know kind of how true this is, is that they, start, they, they are starting to invent machine learning that has to justify itself. Mm -hmm. And I would assume that would be the black box, and they force this machine learning to be able to justify why it took a particular decision, and that would make the black box less opaque. 
Well, that is explainability, actually. So oh. If you, that sort Sorry. of why it took a certain decision. Um, so what contributed to that decision? What are the factors that made that outcome occur? Right. That's explainability. I thought you meant explainability in the sense that we design it so that we're no. actually pushing things in Not so always. that we, we can explain it to ourselves as the machine works as opposed to getting the machine to explain it. So it sounds like a child. No, no, explain no. That's yourself. why there's a difference between human explainability, so English explaining and machine learning explaining. Right. Okay. I've got you. Sorry, I was very slow there. I must be... No, no, no. It's, it's a weird concept where you have to go, okay, I don't want the actual definition of this word. I want something else. So all of those things that it can contribute to an outcome are features. Mm. Um, but you can think of features as like factors. Yeah. Um, so like you and Kevin in, was it, was it September? Kevin Indig. When Kevin Indig, yeah. You were talking about like split testing and um, f isolating factors that cause a change. Yeah. Um, and I, th I think he said something about having to roll back um, changes in order to get a baseline. So if you yeah, remember it, that it was actually that episode where I went, I know what Rebecca generally means, and now I want yeah. to understand exactly what she was talking about. Exactly. So what he's trying to do is isolate individual factors. And that's essentially what you're trying to do when you use predictive SEO as well. Look at the individual factors, features of a model that contribute to the ranking prediction. Um, the problem there, like with Kevin's problem, is that all of these features interact. You can't really right. analyze them individually. Um, so you get these really complex uh, algorithms to analyze the features, and that can be a little bit nuts. Um, so the idea is to go ahead. Yeah, but do you also have the problem that the machine learning by nature runs different, slightly differently every time? So by yeah. the time you've asked it what it did, it's now doing something else anyway. Well, you also have Google, who does essentially the same thing with all their updates. So you're looking for more of a ballpark rather than a right. Uh, something that is precise to the billionth uh, digit. Um, I think the other thing when you talk about ranking factors is that there are so many that you can't always list them all, and that's where this gets complicated, and we can say it depends. So you want to have as many as possible without overloading the capacity of your model or your hardware. Um, and there's a lot. Yep, I'm going to keep saying it depends. Let's <laughs> see how many right, times. Yeah, Anton's got his favorite. It depends that he can flash up on yeah. screen at various moments. This is going to be one of the best episodes for that. And so the short answer as to why I included um, big data in the title here is that the more reliable, clean data you have, the less it depends, um, the less <laughs> variability that you have, and the more of a realistic answer a reliable and usable answer that you have. So that means you need multiple years of history. You need enough pages on your website. You need mm. enough SERP results. You need enough competitors to be able to look at a whole that is semi-stable or at least semi-reliable before you go, okay, yes, I'm going to actually stake my job on this prediction. Right. And you also need clean data. I mean, yes. from what I understand, machine learning super duper experts spend ninety time of the, ninety percent of their time cleaning the data and ten percent doing the fun stuff. Yeah, um, 
if we can look at the first slide that I had up, Ooh, we can look at that slide now, um, <laughs> because it's a great example of why you need complete and clean data. So what really? we're looking at on the screen at the moment, I think, uh, should be a graph, which at the bottom we have a few um, numbers, they're bars, of numbers of pages with a certain uh, citation flow score. Citation mm -hmm. flow is Majestic's um, measure of how many backlinks you have, essentially. Right. Um, a blue line, which is the probability that something will rank, that page will rank in the top 10 results on the SERP. And one of the things we see is that there's a sharp improvement when we get to about 20, uh, uh, what what's it called? A uh, citation flow of 20. And that continues to go up as we get higher and higher and higher. And around 60-ish, it drops off. This does not mean because if you had... Sorry, there are two things that strike me there, one of which is there's a hole where it goes down to zero. I assume that's just a, a problem with the data as opposed to... That is a problem at, with the data. At, at yeah. 18, you suddenly lose all possibility of ranking. There, there are and no the other... pages that rank at 18 on this particular right. site. So they don't rank. So it drops. There's a zero right, on okay. there. So you've also got to be aware of that kind of thing, not obviously right. you personally, me <laughs> more, more and particularly. Then, and the other is there's a bump at 40 to probably 47 or 48, yeah, where and actually then it's the, like, the probability is higher. Why would that be? Because there aren't very many pages that rank after that. Um, so you're looking at the, uh, the ranking probability of a specific page. So it's an individual event rather than something that you can generalize. And then this particular site doesn't have pages with a uh, citation flow of over like 58-ish. So there's just a straight line after that. Mm. But that doesn't mean that if you're if this site produced say 60 new pages or 600 new pages um, with a citation flow of they did great backward backlink work and had a citation flow of 70 on these pages that they were would not be able to go past the line that's shown on the screen. It's because there's right, yeah. missing data. Okay, now, so it's the only problem, well, the only problem, one problem I can see with this is I present that to a client, they're going to go, right, okay, we're going to build backlinks, we're going to buy lots of backlinks because we're cheaty people who are lazy and don't want to do the work, we're going to build everything up to a, 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 what's it called, citation flow score of 40 to 45, and bingo, we've got 52% 52 chance every time of ranking, and that's going to be my one-trick pony strategy. Does that well, happen a lot? that is... If you only consider that the only thing that makes you rank is citation flow. That's what a lot of people think. Uh, which we know is not entirely true. Brilliant. Um, and we had a question from the chat. Is this from a single website? Yes, this is from a single website. Um, but since every website is a little bit different and will weight different things differently because Google will understand that website differently, this is why it depends on the website the industry, the niche, the SERPs are ranking for, um, even the time of year for right. many people. So Okay. And, and the competition and... Yeah. Yeah, no, 100%. So, and all, all the other factors that come into it. And I think, the point I was trying to make, and I was being a bit obstreperous, I think the word is, uh, is that, that people tend to focus on one thing, and especially with clients, if you show them that, right. Don't you're going to get into a lot of trouble. That is not even a good prediction, because you're, you're only taking that one thing into account. So essentially you're saying because there's a correlation between citation flow and my 
ranking in the top 10, I'm going to say that is my prediction. And that's not sufficient. We all know that correlation and causality are not the same thing. So we have to look at more complicated, more complex ways of explaining how that model worked. Um, So you need clean data and you need lots of it. Um, So if you have a website of say 100,000 pages, it's probably not going to be enough. If you have a year and a half of data, it's probably not going to be enough. So this yeah, is, we're Kevin talking about, was talking about the seasonality and the fact that it comes yeah. back every year, so you actually need several years of data. Exactly. Sorry. I mean, you can extrapolate seasonality from a single year, but you have to be absolutely certain that that is a perfectly clean year. And hmm. the problem at the moment, we all are familiar with that. Has there been a clean year recently? I mean, 2020? No, thanks. Hmm. No. And well, the other problem, of course, is that a lot of people and companies haven't been collecting data for very long. Mm. So they don't have the data. I mean, typically, for example, Search Console, after 16 months, you lose it. Um, You really should be pinging that, putting it in a database and keeping it so that you can predict over, sorry, uh, analyze it and predict over a longer period of time. Uh, Sorry, not you personally, once again. Yeah. No, this is definitely the case for me personally. but some, many, many of our clients, um, particularly enterprise clients, do have that back data. And so this, right. is, this is sort of the caveat that I have with this particular area. Um, one of the groups of people that are going to massively profit from the advances in predictive SEO, the way I see it personally, are going to be the big sites that already have an advantage. Hmm. Um, And essentially, so when I think of the SEOs that exist, I like to divide people into three different types. You have, say, the people who like to dissect things. Right. Sort of break things down. They want to know, like, the nitty-gritty, how the gears and cogs work. So people like, uh, I don't know, um, Korai that you had a couple (laughs) weeks ago, or um, Bill Slavsky, who are into topics that you go, wait, are you sure this is immediately applicable to my rankings today. Yes, but only once you've taken everything apart and seen how the pieces work together. Um, You have researchers and observers um, like you um, or Lily Ray or um, Cindy Crum who are really attentive or even like Glenn Gabe and Kevin Mm. Indig does this as well, extremely attentive to patterns that you see in search results. And then you do a ton of tests to confirm that that's really what you're seeing. Right. And then you have people who are implementers who take all of that information. They go, okay, based on all of that, here's how I can build a really successful SEO strategy. But they're not breaking things up themselves, and they're not testing their observations necessarily themselves. And the right, Ooh, can I? Can I? Sorry, yeah. I think that's a really good way of breaking it down because it really does encompass all the different types of people, and we all yeah, and they're all extremely other, valuable, um, and. I personally would be happy to be any, in any of those three categories, but I'm definitely a dissector. I take everything apart. So, Right. Okay. But, well, the other thing about that is kind of what, I, what I've ended up doing with CaliCube Pro is build a platform where I'm the, the platform supports people who are implementers. And right. for me, the idea is I don't want to implement. I want to research, which is exactly what you said. And if, you, if I can provide the research that gives you the tools that allows you to implement, then I get the feed, feedback of data that allows me to improve 
right. the, the tool that supports you. And I'm, I'm really and getting into this. It's a lot that of fun. That is really, I think, how predictive SEO is going to be able to be implemented because people with smaller sites cannot be researchers, dissectors, mm. and observers of this type of phenomenon because they don't have enough data. So they're going right. to need to rely on data from larger sites, from larger tools, uh, from other sources in order to be able to see what is typical in their niche, in their industry, in their types of query clusters. Which, which also means that you're relying on other people's data, which means that you're relying yeah. on them cleaning the data and you don't actually know if the data is clean for the purpose you need. It's probably clean for whatever purpose they're using it for. And from my perspective, at least, I've, and I've been looking at other, other companies' data in small amounts, yeah. and I'm much more comfortable with CaliCube data because I know it's clean and I know how it functions, and I'm right. always a bit suspicious of data coming from other. I think at this point we are far from that stage. Um, I mean, this is a, let's say it's a fairly new field. Um, right. One of the major explainability algorithms is um, the using Shapley values, which essentially uses game theory to see how oh. each feature interacts with the other. Um, okay. uh, that's essentially, it's going to withhold a feature from the model. So let's say your citation flow. It's going to try to predict. Panics. <laughs> so I've just Pretty, got this idea of a child yeah. and you're holding its sweeties back. No, no, no. You can't have your citation flow. How is you how are you going to rank now? Okay, right. now you Brilliant. can't have your other thing. How are you going to rank now? And it's going to test its predictions through all of that. Um, and compute that for all of the possible subsets of features. So you need a complete set of features, or at least a complete right. set of significantly uh, impactful features. So it depends on the features you choose to analyze because we don't know all ranking signals. Right. Um, yeah, and just to, to cut in there, I'm really shocked. You said it depends at least five times <laughs> when Anton hasn't yeah. put up his, his sign. But, I'm very disappointed. So my, my point here is that Shapley uh, won a Nobel Prize for this type of thinking in right. 2012. Um, some of the Python libraries for this came out in 2017. Uh, there are papers on explainability using this type of thing from 2017, 2018, 2020. So this is a field that is just exploding at the moment. And even the sort of founding schools of thought are from less than 10 years ago. Mm. So we are in a fast moving field, but we aren't necessarily there yet. So when we're talking about using other people's data, this might be something that's going to happen in two years, in five years, um, but it's not right. for tomorrow. So don't worry about other people cleaning their data yet. No, no, sorry. I, I was getting over ambitious already. I mean, I was like, ooh, yeah. ooh, I'm getting really excited. But in fact, you talk about big data. CaliCube is yeah. certainly not no, big I, data. I mean, it's big, big, big data. data. No, I'm, I'm tiny yeah. data. I'm getting completely yeah. out of my depth here. But I love the yeah. idea. This is deeply interesting. But so when we're talking about that many features and that much data, that's not something that you can do on your own in your corner on your laptop. Um, so... <laughs> So yeah, so basically, if you're using, say, Shapley, you can use Shapley. It's a, there's a Python library, Shap. Um, so you can do this on your own, test it and see exactly how it works. And if you're mm. someone like me, dissect it and see which, what actually works. 
And it'll give you all sorts of interesting uh, results that'll tell you, it'll give you a base value. So without the contribution of any of the features that you're looking at, um, you'll have a probability of ranking in the, whatever you're analyzing, in the top three, um, of a certain percent. And then according to each of the features that you analyze, it will calculate the contribution either positive or negative that is added to that base value to come up with a final prediction. So what is great about that is that you can look at those features then and say, um, actually, on my site, I know that these are things that impact my ranking. Um, Of the 70 features that I analyzed, um, across my entire site, I have certain subsets of pages that are disproportionately affected by um, text-to-code ratio. And then if I know that if I improve that, I will improve my chance of ranking that subset of pages by approximately 7% or approximately 80%. So it gives you a much clearer view of what is the possibility of improvement based on the improvement that you can drive with a given feature or a certain metric. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does totally make sense. I'm stunned and I'm stunned into silence, which is very rare, as most people know. Um, but another fact thing is that the, 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 the features, I almost said factors, let's stick to features. The features you can say factors. Are, they essentially, oh, I like features. I love the idea of features. Well, I'm keen on it. Okay, because that's a, it's a more of a neutral word. And it's essentially yeah. the characteristics of a page that might or might not matter. Right. Yeah. I mean, Frederick Deboeuf from Bing was talking to me about features, and that was the moment it, I thought that's a really good term because it isn't loaded like factors is. As soon as you say factors, it sets off a whole kind of set of bells Work ringing out. in everyone's head. <laughs> and features is, 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 as you said, neutral and harmless, and it applies to machine learning. And it makes loads of sense. But sorry, the point there was different sections of your site, your blog versus your commercial pages versus your homepage, for example. Will oh, yes, have- please segment your site. <laughs> Please, please segment all your sites. Uh, break them into different parts of your sites because they don't all behave the same way. Yeah, that's sorry, that was the point I was making. Yes. So go ahead, explain that yes. in more detail then. Well, every type of page is different. So well, let's take a random e-commerce site. You might have your category pages, uh, you might have a blog, and you might have product pages. Each of those pages is going to respond to a different type of intent. It's going to have a different template behind it. So it's going to have different technical SEO issues. Um, The speed to load a product page or the probability that it doesn't load correctly is going to be different than the same thing on a category page. The information is coming from different places. Um, Your blog page might not use JavaScript, but your category page probably does. So these pages are going to rank differently, are going to be read differently by Google. So to me, it's it's obvious that you need to treat them differently. You're 100%. ranking them for different intents. You're yep. trying to promote them at different times in different ways. Um, right. No, no, 100%. And, mm. and that, that, that does bring in the fact that you need masses of pages because obviously oh, yeah. once you break your site down into the different chunks, the different sections, oh, yeah, yeah. you need masses of pages in each one, and we're back to big data, and my site is way too small. But Oncrawl yeah. have got all that data, haven't you? Uh, we have a lot of data. Um, we don't necessarily have 
all that data, but we have a, we, one of the things that is really fun about working for OnCall is that we play with lots of data. We've called a lot of sites. Um, we work with really big clients. Um, one of our largest JavaScript calls was, I think we're up to nearly 300 million pages called. Right. Ooh. So the, I mean, you start getting large data sets, and when you have calls like that that span two to three years of history, that yeah, that's those are big. Yeah, three hundred million <laughs> is actually pretty big, and Anton's put it on screen. And you know, I mean, th these numbers are getting phenomenally big, and it's things that we simply couldn't handle in the past. And the technology is advancing so quickly in terms of how well that's great. Effective I think that's awesome that that the technology is advancing so quickly because that's what's going to make the information or the learning from these accessible to everybody as soon as possible. Uh, yeah, and then we've got people like you digging down into the data to try to understand, to help us all understand it a little bit better, and then explain it to people like me who haven't even thought about it before. Um, one thing I was thinking about, can we go back to your slides? Because I actually do want to see them now. Um, we've got the citation flow, second slide, and there was an F bracket X equals 0 0.025. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that's okay. one of those things this... that you see as a child, and it, you go, oh, that's algebra. So that's you just scary, yeah. For T <laughs> or this... something. This is an example of output from Shapley that, or, that this is a demo that we'd run. Um, and it, it took into account six different uh, factors. Um, oh, I was looking at that, Anton, Yeah, I'm, there we go. I'll, I'll forget what it said. Yeah. Thank so it, as factors, it looked at incoming, link, in, incoming internal links, citation flow, word count, response time, uh, trust flow, which is another um, majestic um, right. And the number of outlinks, so outgoing links on a page. And this particular page has a, at the bottom of the, the screen, we have a number, it's 0 0.097. So that's our base um, estimation. So there's a 9.7% chance that any given page analyzed here is going to rank in the top 10%, 10 um, in the top 10 on the SERPs. Right, okay. This particular page, that little f of x equals 0 0.15, so it has a 1.5% chance of ranking in the top 10. Uh, and we see why. And, um, well, according to all, these factors. All of, all of these now look negative to me. It's all going yes, to Yes, all of these things are these negative. Terrible, terrible metrics. This page, it's basically saying everything. It, this is a horrible will... page. Uh, oh, it right, has okay. Citation, it's citation flow. Um, Whatever the citation flow is, um, is pulling it downward by a certain amount in blue. It's a negative number. Mm. The inlinks, it doesn't have enough inlinks, or its inlink profile is just not good enough. So it's pulling it down by another percentage. The word count compared to other things ranking in those top 10 is pulling it down. The response time is actually giving it a boost. Yeah, they've Trust got, they've got a good server. That's about all they've got going for them. Yeah. So let's look at a different page. Now you mm. have exactly the same thing, but all of the factors analyzed are pushing this page, and now it has the same base ranking, but it has a 67.3 probability of ending up in the top 10. 
So when you look at a result like this, you can say, but, oh, sorry, yeah. Sorry, just, 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 just to explain, we were looking at a page with lots of things, negative, yes. citation flow, trust flow, word count, in links, out links, and response time was actually positive. And this one, the response time remains positive, presumably because it's the same everything, time and the same site. Everything else is positive. And too. everything else is positive for the people listening to audio, yeah. uh, but especially citation flow. That one comes up again. Yeah. Citation so flow if, and trust flow. If the, these were the only... Uh, factors that influence. I was about your to say, but the ranking. problem is you you focused on a limited yeah. number of factors. A so very very flow limited trust number of factors. Flow. And in in this case, um, if these were your only two types of pages, or your only two pages that you're looking at, and these were the only factors that you wanted to take into account, using predictive SEO, you would say, I really need to focus particularly on my citation flow because that will address major problems with pages that don't rank and it will continue to reinforce pages that mm. rank very well. So I know that that contributes disproportionately according to these factors and only these factors to the ranking of my pages. Right. Nope. Absolutely wonderful. And yeah, that now makes total sense. I remember looking at these before the show going, and just what thinking, is she doing? no idea what that means. Yeah. So basically... The, what I want to make sure that people understand is that it depends on the factors that you are analyzing. If you are not analyzing a key factor in what makes you rank in the top 10, your results are not going to be good. A little like the line we saw earlier where we didn't analyze any uh, pages that had a citation flow of over 60. Mm -hmm. So our results were bad for anything over 60. So okay. here, if we've forgotten to analyze something, we don't know its contribution. And if we don't know its contribution, it could be way, way, way more important than citation flow. It might be an EAT factor, for example, right. or it might be a entity-related factor. Yeah, and, and, and that is kind of part of the problem, is that we're going to tend to put in the, 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 the features or the factors that we traditionally think about, which is this list here. Um, and that's great information, incredibly insightful. But I was thinking about entities in particular. I mean, yeah. we don't really have a way to measure that at the moment. Uh, you can measure the number of entities on a page. Mm -hmm. You can measure the type of entities on a page. Um, but, yeah, we but have no, a lot sorry, of work I, to do to, 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 define... To be clear, yeah. to be clear, we can all measure the entities yeah. on our page, but we can't measure how Google potentially perceives them, which exactly. is always one of my big kind of struggles in my brain is saying the, the, the trick I assume is going to be, and this is, sorry, going off topic here. No, 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 it's well on topic. How well does Google understand and how well can we educate it, which is what I'm trying to do and what I'm basically uh, found, found fundamentally based on. Excuse me, I interrupted because I got a bit overexcited. No, I'm actually really excited what you just said about what you just said, because Ooh. I think that's, Key, we don't know how Google interprets any of the given um, features today. We know that some of them they say they take into account, and those are the ranking factors that we know are important. But how important are they? We don't know that. And they might mm. be different depending on your industry, depending on your site, depending on all of the other it depends that we cited earlier. Um, so the whole game here is to use advanced tools and to use enough data to be able to say, yes, these things are important because everything that ranks uses them efficiently and everything that doesn't rank in this particular context um, right. doesn't. And that's where the interest of big data and machine learning come in because analyzing things at that scale with a human 
analysis behind it is just going to be a large waste of time. And by the time you finish, we'll have new technology in order to do it faster. So <laughs> that's really what I think is so fascinating about this, that you can look at that much data and gain insight from it. Right. And and you, you were saying this is one of your predictive SEO models that people play with. Is this public or is it just private um, long crawl? It's not yet public because um, we're working on it. So that's just a basic test um, to explain explainability. Uh, but we are actually working on ways to integrate predictive SEO into our tool. Um, the difficulty there is obviously it depends. So we're looking at, we're, I'm working with both the product team and with um, our data science team to see what doesn't it depend on in order to be able to generalize. So otherwise it's not gonna be very useful to anyone. Right. I mean, an another question of that is kind of, you've got all this data, you've got these diagrams, and I didn't understand any of it until you explained it to me. How are we going to present it to our clients? But that's always the next question, and that's... Is it? Oh, sorry, once, that's a really boring, no. obvious question I just asked. <laughs> no, but I think that's, that's often um, even something I've discussed with different people in the French um, SEO world have said things like... Um, I'll get to that question in just a second. Right, yeah, but, we'll come back to the question. Uh, in, at the end of this answer, we can pull, ping yeah. that question off. Go ahead, Rebecca. What you show to clients, um, so what you show to people in general, is not necessarily the back-end analysis. Yeah. You want to be able to show something that's um, ingestible, something that you can understand. So that's a, a whole other uh, can of worms that needs to be dealt with probably by UX people. Um, rather than by the data people who go, this is really interesting. I want to show you every single detail yes. of what I just learned. Um, yeah, and, and generally speaking, from my perspective at least, uh, the more I explain to my clients, the, 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 the more they get confused is, and the yeah. less it helps. Yeah. So sometimes and, what you want to show them is that according to our analyses, this has an X percent chance of being more effective than any other strategy. Right. Okay, which allows you a bit of wiggle room as well in case it goes horribly oh, yeah. wrong. <laughs> right, let's have the question up there. Sorry, I'm okay. rude of me. So, so the output Inesh. from predictive SEO is a prediction of search result ranking based on keywords. Um, yes and no. It depends on what you put in. Um, if you are trying to predict, and this is mostly what my teammates and I have been working on, um, your ability to rank, yes, your, the output is going to be a prediction of search result ranking. If you're trying to predict, as Jason mentioned earlier in this, if you're trying to predict the time to rank, your result is going to be the time frame. Um, based mm. on keywords, I would say yes, but no. Um, it's based on a search context. Uh, I don't like the word keywords. Um, mm. It'll be queries or query clusters. Uh, for a certain search intent at a certain time, in a certain industry. Does that make sense? Yep, it does. And I think a lot of us forget to divide things into industries and even timeframes and seasonality to, and realize that these things do vary vastly over a period yeah. of time. Um, and, and sorry, within industries and kind of from our perspective at Cadigube, I keep forgetting we've got um, categories that, and industries yeah. and we, we divide things we're, we're talking about 
entity equivalence, which is same entity, same same entity type, same geo region, same industry. And that's what we focus in on. If we can nail down a certain number of entities with the same geo and the same industry, we can generally give decent information that will help our clients with their entities. Right. And one of the reasons I don't like to say keyword is that as we move to more of a semantic-oriented search, um, a keyword is too specific. Um, There are equivalencies between the queries um, and even groups of queries that might be different keywords. So to stay tuned for that, for somebody else can talk about that topic. Yeah, but, no, no, no. I mean, we, we, we've gone off the predictive SEO idea, but right. I mean, we're going to we're going to need to well, we're going to wrap this up. But c- can you can you tell me what the next steps are going to be in predictive SEO? My first Im- immediate reaction was timelines. Then I would think stability. I think that's where I would go. I think the honestly, I think the next step in predictive SEO is more predictions um, and <laughs> testing, making Brilliant. sure that we know what makes a prediction reliable and what makes it just fun data to have um, right. and then generalization Ooh, right absolutely yeah no but that's exactly it. it it is instead of what i was trying to do was run before i could even stand up let alone walk yeah but so what are we going to predict well that depends on who's it depends uh, it depends on who's financing who's running this who who has the skills who has the need so if um if tomorrow someone running tons of predictive tests, their need is to know how stable their rankings are. The next big thing is going to be stability. Brilliant. And thank you. That was absolutely awesome. And what I do love is that if we thought we were going to leave It Depends (laughs) behind us with predictive SEO, it's about to get a lot worse. Um, But that's that's what's so awesome about, about SEO. Everything depends. So everything is always new. Right. Okay. So it depends is going to be the catchphrase for the next X number of years. We're never going to get away from it. Learn to live with it, everybody. Thank you so much, Rebecca Burble. That was absolutely brilliant. Now we're going to introduce next week's guest. Uh, Next week is going to be absolutely delightful as well. It's Lily Ray. And I wonder what we'll be talking about. Oh, we're not going to be talking about EAT. We're going to be talking about how has Google changed in 2021 and what's to come. I'm sure EAT will come into the conversation, but the focus is in this massive year in 2021 where absolutely boatloads of things have changed. And Lily's going to tell us what's happening next year with her crystal ball. Rebecca, could you pass? So she's going to be predicting next. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) This is Lily. Lily is amazing. I have never spent more than. I've never spent less than, say, two minutes listening to Lily without learning something absolutely fantastic. Uh, and this is a super topic for her, um, particularly with the the um, product reviews uh, update that came out last mm. week. Yep. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you've followed her Twitter, but she has great things. So she has so many new insights on that. And so if you extend that to the rest of the year, I'll be watching this one. So Lily... Up to you. Lily, Lily has just got the baton from Rebecca. That was actually delightful. Thank you so much. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you very much for having me. Genius. Brilliant. Thank you.